Good morning, everyone. My name's Dave, and I'm a pastor with Salt Church uh, here in Bonnie Hills. We've lived up here in Bonnie's for the last four and a bit years, and uh, we're enjoying being part of this community. I remember when we arrived here, people said, welcome to paradise. Uh, that was before the fires, before the floods, before the pandemic, before the rain and the rain and the rain and the rain. Uh, lovely to see sunshine. It would be great to be giving a, a happy, funny talk this morning. Um, I, I picked up some great illustrations last night, like when the police on the news uh, were pulling over a car and they realised that there was nobody in the car. And so they went back to their police car and then the car that had nobody in it drove off and took off. Um, that wasn't the best. The best was there was a robbery of a grocery store where someone from the fridge grabbed a little tub of custard and threw it at the guy behind the counter trying to steal the money. Uh, custard splattered everywhere. Uh, he took off, but they failed to be able to take him into custody. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's it. <laughs> We've got the jokes out of our system. Um, how about we pray before we look at what is the most extraordinary day, Good Friday? Our loving Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks. Uh, we thank you that you're also the God who loves. And we praise you that you are the God of justice and mercy. Uh, we ask that you'll help us now as we look at this passage from Luke uh, to understand it, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. Uh, help us to respond to Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, what is so good about Good Friday? I think if we were to survey the people who work for Coles and Woolworths, they would say it's because we don't have to work on that day. Uh, and for most Australians, I think Good Friday is just a good day because it's a public holiday. It's a day that we get to avoid work. It's a day to spend with family. It extends a weekend so that we have more time together. We can travel. We can get family. Uh, we can go to the beach. We can do all kinds of good things. Uh, it seems rather strange, however, that Christians would call Good Friday, Good Friday. Because when you look back at what took place, there was the most barbaric form of capital punishment that the Romans had sophisticatedly reserved for the worst of criminals. People were nailed up on a piece of wood. Uh, they didn't die through the nails, uh, through their wrists or through their feet, Typically, they would die of asphyxiation. They would drown in their lungs as they hung on a cross. It's an awful way to die. But of course, as we'll see when we look at this, it's not simply the torturous death that Christians highlight on Good Friday. It's the nature of that death. It's the purpose of that death. It's what that death achieves. It's that death and the significance to God and to Christians for the last two millennia. What makes it a good day? It's extraordinary when you think about it, that we would take a cross and make it the symbol of Christianity. I mean, as Nathan pointed out, we have one here, we have three here, we have one on the screen, and we have this one that is a lot easier to look at in the mornings than it is late afternoon, let me tell you. Uh, why do we celebrate the cross? Why do we take on board a symbol of torture? 
I mean, let's bring it into the present somewhat, or at least sometime over the last 200 years. How would you feel coming into a building where there was a noose hanging and another noose here? And some people wandering in with gold-plated nooses around their necks. You'd think, what a twisted, macabre, gothic bunch of people. Why do we celebrate the symbol of death? Why do we call it Good Friday? I mean, the most significant event in recent US history, in, in many ways in world history, was 9-11 back in 2001. They call it 9-11. That's it. It's a sombre occasion. No one calls it Good Tuesday. I wonder if you even remember that it happened on a Tuesday. Not Good Tuesday, 9-11. And there is mourning, and there is weeping, and there is sombre memory of what took place. You'd never contemplate calling it Good Tuesday. Yet as Christians, we take the day where Jesus died on a cross and we call it Good Friday. It really is a strange thing that we do. It's strange now, and it was strange back then. As we look at Paul's writing, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Um, he said that the cross where Jesus was crucified, the whole idea that the Messiah was nailed up upon a cross was absolute foolishness to the Greek-speaking world. They couldn't think of anything more ridiculous than celebrating a Good Friday. I mean, what a nonsense that you would talk about a saviour, a king, a messiah who is executed in such a horrible way. Didn't make sense. In fact, one of the earliest pieces of Christian graffiti, or at least aimed at Christian graffiti, was a picture of a donkey head being crucified, and it says something like, Alexemenos worships his God. What a ridiculous idea. It was foolish to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, and to the Jews. It was offensive. It was a major stumbling block. For they were looking forward to a king, a Messiah, who would rescue and save the people from oppression. The Jewish nation, to that time, had constantly been subject to the tyranny of the empires around them. Not much has changed. So why would you celebrate the execution of the one who is deemed to be the saving king as a good day? You see, Good Friday doesn't make sense today and it didn't make sense back then. But no, I think we need to look a little more closely. Because my prayer today is that if you are Christian, then you go from this place more confident to stand on the wisdom and the power of Jesus Christ crucified and that you are more convinced than ever that Good Friday is a very good day. And if you're not Christian, if you're looking into these things, if you're investigating, you're exploring, asking questions, that you come through that twisted and macabre and, and awful experience to understand that something incredible is taking place that can change you forever. So let's have a look then at at this account, it's inside your little handouts. We've printed up a few of the verses for you. Um, and I want to look in particular at the last words of a dying man. Thanks. 
not just one man, but three. There are three in this account, aren't there? Just to paint the scene a little bit as you're looking at that, Jesus had lived a very good life. Um, we don't know much about his first 30 years, uh, doing his apprenticeship with his father, who was a carpenter. Uh, we know quite a bit about the last two to three years of his life. There was so much good that Jesus did. Uh, he led a group of followers, bringing about change in people's lives wherever he went, and everything that he did was good. He healed people, he fed people, he drove out demons, he raised people from the dead. Jesus was known amongst the Jews and even amongst the Greek-speaking people to be a worker of wonders. What Jesus did was absolutely wonderful. And so we get to this point. It doesn't follow. Two men, both criminals, were led out with Jesus to be executed and they come to a place called the Skull and they crucified Jesus along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, if you imagine a movie of Jesus' life, it starts well. You've got angels, uh, you've got uh, people from the Far East coming, bringing gifts. You've got celebration, shepherds gathered. You've got all kinds of impact. You have the boy growing up. He's living a good life. Uh, he's doing all of these wonderful things and it seems like he's just rising to the point of climax and then he gets executed. It's a strange plot for a movie and what we see here is people absolutely focused on ridiculing Jesus in every way possible. They're taunting him, they're spitting at him they're playing games, they're casting lots, they're, they're actually trying to work out who'll get which part of his clothing, which I think probably means that he's been stripped naked and there is nothing there that is king-like with Jesus except the fact that they've crushed down on his skull a crown of thorns and they've taunted him with a sign that says, this is the king of the Jews. What's going on? Well, I want to look at these last words of these men. The first is one of the criminals in verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. I think in keeping with what we've read about the ridicule and the taunting and the sarcasm that's focused at Jesus, we need to hear this man spitting out these words. Aren't you the Christ? Well, then save yourself and us. I mean, there's no warmth here towards Jesus. This man's like the soldiers. He's like those um, taking, casting lots for the clothing. He's like those spitting on him, taunting him. He's like those who've gathered around and said, crucify him, crucify him. What a mockery. This one who was to be king now being killed. But the other criminal is very different. 
on the other side of Jesus, the other criminal rebuked the first and said, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished, he says, justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. See, this man knows that he deserves to die. If he, if he had a moral mirror held up to himself, he'd be able to see the sin in his heart. He'd know that he'd rebelled against God. He acknowledges his failure, his trespasses, his iniquity. Here is one who honestly is self-aware. I'm being executed and I deserve to die. But we see here that this man isn't only focused on himself. He's focused on God. Don't you fear God, he says to the other criminal. And he's focused on the man hanging in the middle. Because he says then to Jesus, here in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't know a whole lot, I take it, about Jesus. But what he does know, he gets right. Jesus is the king. And though he is dying on a cross, he will come into his kingdom. And he asks Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And Jesus replies to him there in verse 43... I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. See, Jesus, as he hangs on the cross, is able to say to this man in confidence, though he's dying and though this man is dying, that they will both be in paradise. In other words, they will both be with God. They will both be in heaven. They will both be right with God. They will both have, and hear this, a future. And a good future. Most people, I think, in, in our world, think that death is the end. We, we live, we breathe, we stop breathing, we die. We're just atoms, molecules, electrons, protons, neutrons. We, we're just chemicals going on in the body and when those chemicals stop working that's it but the bible's view of the world is that this life is not all there is we die and then we face judgment you see that the man on the cross knows that there is reason to fear god because he knows that he has done wrong but he knows that there is something to come. And so he asks Jesus if he can be remembered when Jesus comes into the kingdom. Let's just ponder this for a minute. You've got three people hanging on a cross. One of them knows that there's absolutely no hope and just spits out sarcasm. The other one is looking to Jesus, believing that there can be hope. And Jesus in the centre says, yes, you're right. 
and your hope will be realised. How can that be? How can it be that, that dying people can offer hope to others? Well, that's what makes Good Friday such a good day. Because there's a deep irony in this part of scripture. There's a deep irony in what those people around Jesus are saying of him. What the thief on the cross is spitting at Jesus sarcastically. It's deeply ironic because Jesus is able to save others by not saving himself. Think about it. Here's a man who was able to calm a storm with a word. Here's a man who was able to tell a little girl who died to sit up and she's raised from the dead. Here's somebody who could take a little boy's lunchbox and feed thousands and thousands of people. Here's somebody who taught the word of God in a way that had never been heard before. Here's someone who can take demonic forces and silence them. Here's somebody who at every level shows his extraordinary power and compassion over everything in this world, natural and supernatural. So let me ask you this. Did the nails keep Jesus on the cross? Is it the soldiers gathered around him that prevent him from saving himself? No. Jesus remains on that cross because he chooses to remain on that cross. It's not human effort, human power, military might, nails through limbs that keep Jesus on the cross. It's that he's come to save. And that's why we need another perspective on what's going on. If, if you look on your handout, there's another Bible verse, which uh, Nathan and I didn't compare notes on this, but uh, you've heard the verse already. And that is, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. If Jesus chose to save himself, he couldn't save others. Because the only way that Jesus can save others is by taking our sin on himself and being crucified with it. Because then when God looks at us on the day of judgment, he's able to say sins have been paid for in Jesus. That's what's so good about Good Friday. Jesus chooses to go to his death. And we shouldn't be surprised at that. So many times we read in the Gospels, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, must be tortured, must be crucified, and on the third day must rise again from the dead. Friends, we look forward in hope to Easter Sunday because Good Friday is so good. Because on Good Friday, Jesus takes your sin and my sin all the stuff that if we're honest, we would never want anyone to see. We'd never want anyone to know about. They're the things that separate us from God. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to take it. And I'm going to die with it so that you can be washed clean. You might think Good Friday is a strange way to describe the death of Jesus. 
And in some ways, you'd be absolutely right. Good Friday? No. Absolutely, brilliantly, fantastic Friday. That'd be better. Because on this day, we have hope to escape God's judgment and enter into God's kingdom. You and I, left to ourselves, never do it. We'll never do it. But in Jesus, we can. So friends, if you're a Christian and you're being criticised, maybe mocked, taunted, critiqued, even cancelled, because you believe that on Good Friday, the Son of God died so that you could have forgiveness and an eternity with God, be brave. Hang on to that truth. Yes, to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to just about everybody else in our society, it sounds like nonsense. But to those who are being saved, the Apostle Paul says it's the wisdom of God and the power of God. And friends, if you're looking into the Christian message this Easter, then at some point you need to narrow down and see just how important is the death of Jesus. The Old Testament, which goes for many pages, actually finds its fulfilment in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Every gospel account is in some ways like a long introduction to the last week and the last day of his life. The crucifixion is the focus. Each letter that is written to the churches finds the centrepiece being to understand the death of Jesus is to understand God and to understand ourselves. So I commend you to investigate Christianity, to read through a gospel like this one, Luke's gospel, or if you want a shorter one, Mark's gospel. Read them all and realise for yourself what's so good about Good Friday. Thanks.